Hello, and welcome to the MyCare Champion Cast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Laura Hall of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Today, we're talking about the work hospitals do outside of the traditional hospital setting and the substantial role healthcare plays in the well being of both the state's residents and its economy. The recently released Community Benefit Report and Economic Impact Report have lots of information on the MHA.org website. So today, we're going to talk about some specific efforts in the southeastern and northwestern parts of Michigan. First, we'll talk to two people from the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit about a new pilot program launched in partnership with Gleaners Community Food Bank. Catherine Scher, the Director of Population Health Management, will tell us how the program is working on a new way to address food insecurity in patients. But first, Susan Hawkins, the Senior Vice President of Population Health, tells us how the program got started. Well, it started about, a, I'd say a year and a half ago now, where Jerry Brisson, who is the CEO of Gleaners, called me up and said, can we get together and talk about an idea I have? And he'd done some research on the impact of food insecurity on health outcomes. And we just started talking about what we could potentially do together. And um, it started out as a couple ideas, a couple meetings. We thought it through a little bit more. Uh, I brought Kathy in. We talked to some other people here on our team. He talked to some people on his team and we came up with this idea of designing a project for basically identifying people who were at risk um, clinically who might also be food insecure and figuring out what we could do. Would, would providing food to those individuals actually help them get better faster or uh, improve their management of their chronic condition and not get in the way of other things? And we were very clear about not just enough food, but the right kind of food, so the proper nutrition. So that then caused us to create this pilot project, which Kathy can talk about um, how we're covering that now. So what um, what does this program look like on a day-to-day basis? So we um, selected a uh, pilot in our ambulatory sites, and we worked very closely with gleaners to figure out right from the beginning what are the program looked like? How are we going to get food to the people? What kind of food? What was the cadence? How long? And it took us probably several months to to iron all of that out. And the end product really is that we have a process at each clinic for screening uh, individuals for food insecurity. And we have uh, also qualifying um, criteria to make sure that they can accept and receive the food. So the patients have to have uh, someplace to store the food. They have to be able to prepare the food. And if they qualify for the program, then they are offered um, the program. So the program consists of providing um, a patient with an emergency food uh, starter kit that we call that will have all the staples and that will be given to the patient and is given to the patient in the clinic. And then from there, we have um, a coordinator, an outreach coordinator, who schedules the subsequent delivery of food. And every two weeks for six months, the patients receive this nutritious food. And um, we monitor this on a daily basis. Um, we, We really try to figure out how to best get the food to the patients because we weren't just studying the effect of providing people with nutrition, would that impact their health? We wanted to try to study how 
how what's the process of getting food to people in a way that they can can really benefit from it and um, we ended up deciding that we were going to have gleaners deliver the food so gleaners um, delivers the food for all patients at um, our detroit city comprehensive care center and um, aim which is the academic internal medicine clinic and um, because Taylor has a little bit of a demographic and the patients do have more access to transportation, the patient's given a choice. If they can pick it up from the distribution center or they can accept a delivery. And most of the patients attributed to Taylor decide to um, have a delivery as well. I guess I'm kind of envisioning, you know, a senior who lives in the area and maybe doesn't have a car, access to, mm-hmm. you know, a good grocery store, comes in for like a cold or something like that. And do you guys screen, is that the kind of person that you're screening or is it specific? No, no, we, we screen everyone. So we, we decided right right from the get-go we weren't going to really focus on any specific um, disease cohort, if you will. And, and everybody who was attributed to our physicians in the comprehensive care centers, uh, we've screened all of them. And then those that are um, coming into uh, the clinic for general internal medicine, we're screening them. Um, we have uh, a variety of individuals who do the screening. We have registered nurses, we have case managers, we have medical assistants, and we have a, a communication process where those patients that are identified as food insecure get passed over to a case manager. And if they don't meet the eligibility criteria, then we provide them with uh, resources to meet the need. We wouldn't want to leave anybody out. I think it's important to note that the comprehensive care clinics already take care of the highest risk patients. So they have on average three chronic conditions. They're usually older, Mm -hmm. um, frail as Kathy mentioned. And so they're already considered high risk for their clinical needs. And so we're trying to introduce something that can help counteract Mm -hmm. um, some other barrier getting in the way of getting better. And that kind of brings me to my next question. You know, why is hunger and access to quality food so important in healthcare? Well, I, I think that it's the cornerstone of your health. I, I think if you have a poor diet, then the chronic conditions that you have aren't managed well. Um, you also are more likely really to get the chronic conditions such as heart failure, high blood pressure. Uh, obesity plays a huge role in, in those diseases as does it in diabetes. Um, and then also, you know, people don't have access because there aren't grocery stores available. So it's not just that they don't have calories or access to calories, they don't have access to the healthy foods that promote health. And that's the problem that we're trying to solve. It's twofold. Number one, these people really need food. They don't have enough, they tell us that. And number two, they don't have access to the right kinds of food. So the food that Gleaners is providing is um, very safe for patients with chronic conditions. It also has um, healthy produce, um, meats, and and dairy are part of the the biweekly delivery. So it's it's really um, well thought out. In addition to the fact that each package comes with uh, recipes for how you're to use this two-week supply. And patients are really very um, receptive to this. We monitor their experience. and Gleaners has adjusted what they're providing the patients based on their feedback, which is, which is a great process. 
Can you give me some examples of the types of diseases or conditions that are exacerbated by having a poor, a poor diet or living oh. in a food desert? Oh, certainly. I think the thing that comes to mind is heart failure. So patients that have heart failure have to be on a low-sodium diet. They have to really watch their um, caloric intake. Um, more importantly, it's, it's the sodium factor. So fast food, all of the things that you'll find in a convenience store are, are not good for you. You really need to have access to fresh um, meats, vegetables, and produce. And this provides that for those patients. Um, patients with diabetes have the same thing. So truthfully, all of the patients, all chronic conditions really would benefit from the same type of diet. How is working with gleaners um, helping people in the community? So I, I think that's the, the other part of the exciting thing that I've enjoyed really is the relationship with gleaners because we're, we're providing a, a really valuable service to patients. We really do believe that this will show positive outcomes in their health, but it's also the collaboration with gleaners that's been so rewarding. Um, let's see. We started out um, when we launched on daily huddles. We talk every day. How's it going? Do, do we need to tweak anything? Is there anything that we need to be aware of? And the com uh, communication goes back and forth to this day daily. We have a very elaborate um, but effective communication process. So we had uh, Deleners was delivering um, in Detroit. So the driver at one of the patient's homes um, knocked on the door, patient didn't come to the door, and uh, the driver was able to discern that the patient had fallen from his wheelchair and was not able to get out of the wheelchair and probably had been there for some time, was able to notify the management company of the complex and facilitate a 911, and then that communication came to us so we could have the case managers follow up. So that's a really good story of just how having someone available to check on patients is, is helpful in addition to having the food delivered. So far, you know, I know this program is pretty new. What are you seeing in terms of clinical outcomes or impact from this pilot program? So this is a program that we set up as a, um, a formal study and um, we don't have any outcome measures, but we are going to be looking at things such as um, blood pressure, improvement, um, diabetes improvement. We're also looking at if we had any effect on utilization. So did this patient population go to the ED less? Do they get admitted less? And if they were admitted, was their readmission rate less? We do monitor the process measures daily. And so far we've screened over a thousand patients um, and we've identified about 20% of the, that patient population as food insecure. and. Of those that are food insecure, we do do the screening to make sure they're qualified, and about 84% of the patients that um, are food insecure qualify. And the good news is, is that our acceptance rate for the program is about 98%, 99%. What would have happened with them before this program or something like this was around? We do have other... Um, services in place to help patients, but we didn't have a systematic way to really assess for food insecurity. It was maybe um, if it was identified that the person or patient couldn't pay for their medications, then someone on the care team might have a have the, the notion that they needed to drill into that and see what was going on. But now we're screening everyone and we're providing that um, 
support in a systematic fashion. For, for the health system's perspective, why is this important to invest your time in and do this work? Uh, well, first of all, it's important for us to understand social determinants and how they affect healthcare. So, so food insecurity is just one of many, many things that um, are the non-clinical things that get in the way of us doing a good job, right, for our patients. But the other thing is when Kathy referenced utilization, you know, if people are going to the ER because um, something's going acutely wrong with them, that, that, that's an unnecessary visit. Um, that we could accommodate a different way. So if somebody is, um, you know, passes out at home or gets lightheaded or weak because they don't have the right kind of food going into their body, um, and we can avoid that by giving them the right kind of food to put in their body, then we can avoid an unnecessary visit to the ER, which actually is not very fun for them either, right? I don't know anybody that enjoys going to the emergency department. And it's more costly, and we can take care of them better either in the clinic on a routine basis or telephonically or or through uh, virtual care. There's lots of other ways that we can do that. So what we're finding, at least here in Pop Health, but also at Henry Ford Health System in general, is we need to uh, work, we need to play in a bigger sandbox, right? And understand what are the ways that we can work together. And these partnerships are so important. Mm-hmm. So this partnership with Gleaners, it's a way to say we can work together toward a greater good. and all boats rise. Next, we'll talk to David Sim, the manager of marketing and public relations for Aspirus Ironwood Hospital. He talks about the people his hospital serves in the Upper Peninsula and the various projects the hospital participates in to help improve the community's health. We serve all of Gogibic County, um, which is located on the western end of the Upper Peninsula, and we also serve Iron County of Wisconsin. So for those wondering where exactly uh, we are located in the state, it's as far west as you can possibly go. Um, we're right on the tip of the UP um, and right on the border between Wisconsin and Michigan. As far as the community that we serve, um, you know, we, uh, we have a very rural community, so um, small towns, we have a number of small towns that we support, but I mean, for the most part, it's, uh, these towns were once mining towns. Um, and obviously since mining has sort of gone away over the last couple decades, uh, we've, um, like many towns of the UP, uh, we see a lot more senior populations. Uh, we're very, um, senior heavy in terms of our population, but over the past five years or so, I would say that we've seen kind of a, a culture change in our communities. Um, much more uh, of embracing the outdoors. So we've seen kind of a, of a resurgence of uh, the millennial type, um, you know, young adults back into this area, um, which is great, and really embracing the outdoors, the running, hiking. Um, so there's a, kind of a little bit of a, of a health boom going on, uh, at least in this area. And uh, that's really encouraging. So what types of programs does Aspirus Ironwood offer to serve the health needs of your community outside of the hospital's four walls? Well, really because we're such uh, so rural, um, we've kind of wanted to take on the role of a community leader. I I think that's sort of what we see ourselves. Um, So we try to offer as much support as we can in, in doing as many things as we can. Um, we participate in local farmers markets week in and week out, um, providing 
uh, health programming, supporting uh, like weekly lunch programs uh, that go on during the summer, um, providing uh, therapy services at sporting events, some of the, the typical things that you do see, um, but we also get involved in things, uh, opioid prevention programs, partnering with our local community college. Um, each summer now, we are offering a, a health career camp to uh, local high school students and really getting them basically immersed in a day of uh, what their job could be like should they want to get into health career. So they do job shadowing. Um, we have done things like partnering to provide community flu shot clinics. So we work with our uh, community college and their nursing program. And basically uh, for a half a day on a weekend, we uh, bring as many people in as we can to us it's really important to uh, do as many things as we possibly can just because I think our community kind of looks to us to be able to do that, and we kind of feel the desire to, to be a leader. Why is this such a priority at your hospital to serve the community in this way and put together these programs? For many facilities in the Upper Peninsula, especially uh, healthcare facilities, they are really the largest employers in their uh, communities. We are um, many in the Western UPR. Um, so there, there's a, a certain sort of sense of understanding that um, you need to be able to give back and, and uh, be supportive. Um, but I, I think there's kind of two reasons that, that allow us to be this a priority. I mean, first, our, our leadership, and, and I personally see a value in being a community role model um, we want to support what our staff supports. And then I think our system, the Aspire system, has really kind of endorsed uh, our need to be community leaders. So when you have the desire and then the support, uh, I think that really enables us to, to go after and do as much as we possibly can. What types of benefits or impact do you see from these programs in your community? You know, what is the outcome um, that you're seeing from some of these efforts? You know, as I mentioned, I would like to think that we've been really part of the, the culture shift that we've seen in the last couple of years, um, the drive to become an outdoors destination, wanting to get involved in more um, healthy participation and activities. Uh, I think that uh, we've tended to uh, be as supportive as possible of those type of programs as, as much as we can. Um, you know, building biking trails, hiking, biking, skiing, uh, uh, being a big part of uh, wintertime activities, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing. We, uh, we get involved in events that, that, those, uh, that those things revolve around. Um, I mean, even the possibility of ski jumping coming back to our area and, and welcoming those type of athletes were – working really close uh, to be supportive of them. Um, and, and I think we're starting to see uh, the impacts of that um, just being a, a healthier community. We're seeing a lot of people who might uh, might never um, become runners or uh, go in that direction, really start to take the first steps into healthier living. Um, our senior community, we, we're seeing them getting out and being more active and wanting to take a bigger uh, role in uh, their health. So um, I think as far as that goes, uh, I'm really excited that, that this is kind of happening. 
Um, and, and I'll give credit to uh, the governor of Michigan. The, the Iron Bell Trail has been a real driving force for our community, and I think it's going to make a huge impact um, both in bringing those people to our communities, but uh, driving a giant health change. Seeing all this extra activity and people being more outdoorsy, are you is is your hospital seeing an impact of that on the clinical side? Are people having fewer complications or you know doing better um, in terms of their actual physical health? I would say that uh, you know from like providers that I've talked to or even uh, community members, they're wanting to ask more questions about what's going on in their health and and how they can get out and what it takes to be more active. So we're seeing some of that. We're tracking the data that you're asking for, um, kind of looking at it. And, and I think we will see uh, gains coming out in the next couple um, community benefit surveys that we're going to do. Um, if I may, uh, one of the things that, that I'm really proud of is uh, here in the Western Upper Peninsula, we drove uh, a huge project with our um, health department, and it was basically to put together uh, a big um, document of health statistics as part of the community benefits um, surveys. It's grown so much that it now is um, going to be offered across the whole Upper Peninsula. So later this summer, uh, we're going to be putting out basically – a huge health report on the state of the UP of Michigan. Um, and that's something that uh, we got the ball rolling on a few years ago. And I think that uh, this report will make a big difference in understanding exactly what the health of the average Upper Peninsula resident for the state of Michigan uh, really is. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Finally, MHA CEO Brian Peters shares a statewide perspective on community partnerships and the economic impact of Michigan's hospitals. Healthcare is really at the leading edge of, I believe, an evolution uh, here in the United States, which is, you know, the the importance of public health uh, has never been more relevant to our our nation's success, both economically and from a security perspective. Uh, hospitals have to be at the very center of this evolution. Uh, we need to go well beyond simply uh, eating better, exercising more. We've heard those mantras for many, many years. Uh, we have to dig even deeper than that and understand what are the factors that contribute to a healthy community, a healthy society. And if we can be successful in that regard, then we're going to have enhanced presenteeism uh, for our employers. We're going to have more productivity. And families are going to be more secure, both economically and certainly from a health status perspective. Hospitals have a fantastic opportunity uh, to really lead this evolution. So what types of programs are there um, that are serving communities in our state? We're seeing a number of different approaches. Uh, Food insecurity is really at the top of the list. I think there's been a recognition in recent years that uh, even more of our friends and neighbors and colleagues than perhaps we ever realized are struggling with food insecurity. And in some cases, that may be because of uh, a geography issue. You are living in an inner city where 
Uh, there are literally no grocery stores uh, nearby that, that sell fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, you don't have access to transportation in many instances where you could, uh, could access those sorts of foods. And in some cases, we know that the, uh, the roadblock, quite honestly, is uh, economic. And uh, folks will, will make a, a very difficult decision every single day. Uh, that means they or their family members are not accessing the right sorts of, of foods and, and drinks that they should be accessing. And so many of our member hospitals and health systems have gone out of their way to address that food insecurity issue in a lot of unique ways. And we're seeing uh, the development of farmer's markets that our hospitals are certainly promoting. In one instance, we have a member who's developed their own farm and they're growing their own food that they serve in the hospital and in the community. So those sorts of efforts, I, I think, are critically important. We're also seeing continued work in terms of smoking cessation. Uh, certainly a new one on the radar screen in recent years is tackling the opioid epidemic and, and really trying to find some innovative ways to, to help families who are struggling with that issue. Uh, and diabetes, all of those issues where public health data is clearly showing that we have a challenge here in Michigan where the benchmarks are we have a population that is more unhealthy than most other states. Uh, those sorts of issues really do tend to, uh, to garner a lot of attention and resources in terms of uh, trying to help folks find the, the right way forward. You kind of touched on this, but how do hospitals identify the needs in their communities and then, you know, build programs to try to address those needs? Well, the simple answer is a community needs assessment, which is something that all of our member hospitals here in the state of Michigan uh, do very routinely. And it's a robust process. It follows a, a particular uh, a format. And that allows us to look at the particular needs. Maybe it's childhood obesity in one community, but maybe it's a different issue somewhere else. And so I believe that what's happened over time is that hospitals, even though they may be direct competitors in the marketplace on a number of issues, increasingly we're seeing better collaboration when it comes to addressing these vexing uh, problems associated with population health. So that uh, we may have direct competing hospitals that say we are better served collectively by partnering on this diabetes uh, management program or this food insecurity program. And I think whenever you see that sort of collaboration, it's encouraging, um, but it has to include more than just hospitals. And that's the other trend that we've been watching over the last few years, which is hospitals no longer acting as big buildings uh, and all that comes with it, they're acting like integral parts of the community and partnering with the schools in a more robust fashion, partnering with law enforcement, if that makes sense, partnering with churches, all of the other organizations at the local level who may have a, a very important role to play uh, in terms of advancing the population health status. And so hospitals, I think, are, are becoming more sophisticated in their ability to bring their own resources to bear, but to partner where that makes uh, good sense to do. So another recent report, um, the, e the Economic Impact Report of Healthcare in Michigan recently came out, and that's something the MHA is a part of. Um, can you share, share some of the highlights from that report? 
You know, it's a remarkable uh, report in that you see that even in this uh, modern economy in the state of Michigan, healthcare continues to be our single largest employment sector. We have you know, over 600,000 jobs directly attributable to healthcare, uh, 240,000 of those uh, in hospitals alone. And it's not just the direct jobs uh, that are provided that contribute to a thriving economy. It's also the fact that hospitals and other healthcare providers can create communities that attract other employers. In other words, who would want to start a new branch office or open a new factory or move to a community where you weren't able to deliver babies, where you weren't able to have access to emergency care uh, if you were injured in an automobile accident, uh, if you weren't able to have all of these other procedures or, or screenings uh, provided in an easily accessible and affordable manner. And that's what hospitals and health systems and their partners in the provider realm can really bring to the table for a community. And we've seen that work over time. I think Michigan healthcare has absolutely been part of Michigan's economic renaissance uh, over the last decade. Certainly, we should not view hospitals and healthcare in general as strictly an expense item. Uh, we are so much more than that. We are providing incredible access to care that people need uh, in their lives but also we are part of an economic engine, part of a thriving economy and should be viewed as such. So why is this an important message for healthcare activists and MyCare champions um, to share when they're talking to their lawmakers or even their neighbors? You know, I can remember years and years ago when we would talk with elected officials about the Medicaid budget, for example. And the talking point for MHA and our members was really you need to support the Medicaid budget in order to ensure access to needed health care in the community. And while that's still very true and very relevant today, uh, it's equally important in many instances for our elected officials to hear the second part of that message, which is not only are we providing access to care, we are providing access to jobs. We can have a very significant positive impact on the local community outside of the healthcare realm, but we can't do that if we are uh, underfunded, if Medicaid or any other program uh, shortchanges the, uh, the very real expense uh, that underlies this uh, extraordinary care that we provide. And on that note, I, I would tell you as well, our members have really gone out of their way, I would say over the last decade, in focusing on efficiencies and focusing on cost containment. In other words, mirroring what many other sectors of the economy have done. Even though those costs have continued to grow, they've grown predominantly because we have an aging population. We have a population that, according to public health data, struggles mightily uh, with those underlying uh, health issues. But thank goodness, our hospitals have done an awful lot to address the underlying costs of care and really keep those costs as much in check as possible. Anything else you want to add? It's really a golden opportunity, in my view, for Michigan hospitals, their partners in the physician and nursing realm, pharmacists, 
uh, skilled nursing facility care, all of us in the healthcare family to really take ownership of this issue of population health. Uh, it is an opportunity for us to advance uh, the ability of Michigan to compete in a global marketplace. It's an opportunity for us to attract new jobs to the state. Uh, if those potential employers look at the readily available data and conclude that Michigan is no longer one of the most unhealthy states, but in fact, we're on the way back in that we're doing the, the things it will take to create a healthy workforce and a healthy environment for many, many years to come. Thanks to everyone for listening. To read the reports, visit mha.org, or I'll include links in the show notes. Tell us the impact of some of these programs in your community by emailing us at communicate at mha.org. And be sure to join us next time for the MyCare Champion Cast.